Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. UX Cake is all about developing the layers you need to be more effective in your work and to be happy and fulfilled in your career. I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo, and I'm a UX leader and leadership coach. Hello, friends. Welcome to UX Cake. I am excited to introduce you to my guest today, Tootie Tagerly. She is a veteran design leader, and she's also the author of a fantastic book called Make Space to Lead. In this episode, we're delving into how we can create more fulfilling work and to build a career that's really sustainable by making space for what matters most to us. I want to mention that making space is not the same as making time. (laughs) This isn't about time management or prioritization techniques. It's really all about having awareness, self-awareness, and reflection and creating structures in your life so that you can do that, so that you can do that more often. We are chatting about how we can create more space for creativity, flow, and whatever else matters most to us in our personal and professional lives. So if you're looking to make your work and career more meaningful, as many people that I've talked to lately are, listen on. Tootie Tagerly is a design leader with 22 years of experience building products and design cultures at some of the world's largest organizations, including Meta and Disney and Oracle and more. And now Tootie is an executive coach, author, and speaker. And you can find out more about her at tootietagerly.com. And the link is in the show notes. All right, let's get on with the episode. Hello, Tootie, and thank you so much for joining me on UX Cake today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. I have been wanting to talk to you actually on the podcast since I think before your book came out, possibly, but for sure when your book did come out and I was on sabbatical, (laughs) not personally, but the podcast was for a couple of years. So I'm really excited that we've had a chance to actually meet and then talk about the podcast. So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited. (laughs) Excited to have fun with this. Let's play. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, the conversation, the topic I thought we would be talking about because the name of your book is Making Space to Lead. After I read your book, I think what my biggest takeaway was, this is about making space to have a career that is fulfilling and sustainable (laughs) for anybody. It's very important for leaders um, to do this for themselves and for their teams. But I have really been noticing a recent theme with clients. Since you're coaching, you may probably hear this from clients as well, but not just clients. I'm hearing this from friends and from former colleagues. People are wanting to do work that feels meaningful to them. And a couple of really interesting questions come up. One is it possible for them? And two, are they asking for too much? Oh, 
<laughs> I'm super curious your thoughts about that. First, have you been hearing this a lot, not just in coaching? Obviously, you might think people would come to coaching with those sorts of questions, but even outside of that in the general kind of work world. I think we're all very lucky to be in tech. And I think we're very lucky to be in in the design fields, the greater UX fields in tech, because I would say 100% absolutely possible for us in this field. <laughs> Even in the downturn climate right now, absolutely possible because it's a field that's growing. It's a field where it's financially lucrative. So it's absolutely possible to find that, that purpose and fulfillment. I think it's harder for people in different fields, people in dying fields, fields that do not get paid like this. But since this audience is in tech, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think even more so, you know, I work, I coach with a lot of people all in tech who are later on in their careers and they're questioning, okay, I've been working at this company. Maybe the product seemed really appealing. Maybe it was a consumer product that all my friends use. And then more and more so when I talk to people later on in their career, they're like, oh, do I, did I really want to be spending my time doing this? Mm -hmm. And I hear more and more, maybe I want to do something that's more sustainable, more in green tech, something that feels a little bit more meaningful, valuable, purposeful. I've seen people after 10, 15 years switch careers to Focus on, say, government tech or healthcare tech, just different things because of the sense of purpose. And I think it's especially so with, I think things go on a pendulum. I think it's especially so in the political climate and turmoil in the US over the last five plus years. Yeah. And interestingly, I know a lot of people have talked about how the pandemic in some ways has kind of forced many of us to take time or to have more introspection, I think, mm -hmm. actually. I don't know that anybody has any more time. <laughs> 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 I don't think so, which is an interesting topic. I want to get to that, the whole topic of time. I'd also love to get your thoughts around this. Are they asking for too much? Because especially in tech, whether you're in UX or product management or engineering, we tend to rely on high salaries. And sometimes when we start asking our, ourselves questions about our values, what do we actually value? We don't want to give up that salary, but we're finding that other things are actually possibly more valuable or more important to us. Time and creativity and a whole lot of things can be valuable besides money, right? And security, financial security. But um I just would love to get your thoughts on yeah. someone who says, am I asking for too much to have a job that is fulfilling and meaningful and sustainable, as well as getting paid what I'm quote unquote worth, right? I mean, the easy answer to that is no, you're not asking for too much. You can dream and envision whatever life that you want. And I'm leaving this in the dreaming realm, in the realm of possibility, in the realm of 
this is the life that I want to build for myself with all of this. I would never tell anyone that they're asking for too much. But the caveat is, well, what are you willing to do to Mm -hmm. achieve that, that life, that dream, that purpose? And it's these details, this caveat where it gets really interesting. Mm -hmm. Because so many people are going to say, yeah, I want it all. I want this dream job that's perfect, that's going to pay me this much money, that's going to give me all of this flexibility, that's going to let me have work-life balance that is extremely fulfilling and changes the world in some way. And I think this is where some of the hard trade-offs come in and having a really solid understanding of what are your stack-ranked priorities for this job? And what are your stack-ranked values for this job? And I'm not putting any judgment on it. There's periods in our life where money is number one. Sure. Because maybe you're trying to buy a house. Maybe you're just having kids. Maybe you're supporting your parents. Maybe you're sending money home to relatives in a different country. I don't know. And there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. Maybe because you just want to be able to retire earlier. Mm -hmm. It's having that clear understanding of what's the stack rack most important thing. And it might be purpose in, in, in your job. The, my last partner worked for an environmental nonprofit. And something that I found really interesting is that he shared with me how trends of different people who leave college ready to change the world and pour their hearts and soul into a nonprofit. And he said that something happened. There was a group of people who come in like fiery, raging, and they work their little hearts out for a couple of years, and then they just burn out. Mm. And I share this example because us in tech, we're like, and- I worked at Facebook, right? There is the, oh my gosh, I worked at a social media company, but you work in an environmental nonprofit. You know, your job is so much better than mine. But it's the same thing because he shared these trends for me that like the burnout's the same. Mm. The pouring your whole heart and soul in something is the same, which leads to burnout. And it didn't matter that it was for an environmental nonprofit. Mm. So that was like one use case. And then he said the people who, well, there was a second kind of, more negative thing, which is like they're old timers who were there and they just get like really cantankerous. They're like, oh, I've seen all that before. That That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So that was the second group of people that he told about, me about. And then the third group is the people who learn to, to pace and sustain. The people who learn that you can't get completely judgmental about other people. You can't be like, you guys don't recycle like that. That is not good. You're yeah, <laughs> you're going to go to hell. You're destroying the environment. But it's really finding your own path to what is a balance between what you do, how you act in the world, and how much you give to your job. Just the boundaries. Because in our world, in tech, I used to joke a very long time ago that like, no babies will die. <laughs> you make a feature mistake, no babies will die. In their world, it's like, oh my gosh, if you didn't put in the extra couple of hours, how much more of the rainforest is going to burn? Right, right. But it does go back to that you can ask for all of this, but know what your priorities are. Yeah. Which gets at this making space. (laughs) Because making space is so much more than, it's not just making time. It's not about making time. It's time is a construct. (laughs) Time is a fake construct. Like when you think about it, time is infinite. It's not about 
this book is not about time management. You know what you're talking about. It's not even prioritization. There's so much about self-awareness and reflection that is required in making space, which we often, we get too busy. (laughs) It's this terrible conundrum because you're too busy to make space because you've got to like get your stuff down through the to-do list. You got to cook dinner, do all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And in fact, I think you may have referred to it as the cult of busyness. And you must get a lot of clients, I would imagine, as do I, who are a little bit addicted to the busyness. In fact, Absolutely. I and you're and very, I am too. So I know I, you're I very honest in your book about it, <laughs> and and I have yep. to say, I do. I get that way, and I used to be that way very much. Working at Amazon, a lot of the things you talk about working at Facebook were very similar yep. to me. It was like, oh yes, that sounds very close to home. Yep. <laughs> we all do. This is how we're rewarded. This is how our performance review systems are. This is how our quarterly OKRs, this is the corporate world. Yeah, yeah. And with that, I'd love to know how you approach that with people who want to make space, but don't feel maybe allowed to in their day-to-day work. There's so many places where we can start to play with space. And also where I start with a lot of people is what's the problem? What's the pain right now? What is it that you want to be? What is it that you want to be different? I think in coaching, we talk a lot about what's an aspirin and what's a vitamin. Mm -hmm. We we don't take our vitamins, right? If this is kind of this vague idea of like, oh, I'm kind of busy. I want to make more space. How do I do it? I don't think there's any that's, there's enough incentive to change. We all know that like meditation, exercise, eating well, these are all things that are good <laughs> for us, but it's so hard to do because we're we're so human. I find that change is easiest to make when it's forced on us. Mm-hmm. That's the shock to our system that's going to say, "Hey, you got to break this pattern. This is enough. This is too much. I can't do this anymore." And you were talking earlier about the pandemic that is the greatest collective pattern break we've had. It's Mm -hmm. like, all right, can't do anything else. You're sheltering in place. You got to do this stuff. So the first thing I would ask people is what's the pain? Why, what is it that is requiring you to need more space? Is it a feeling of stuckness in your job? Is it a feeling that maybe this work that I do day to day is not the work that I want to do? Is it a feeling that, oh man, I do not have a good relationship with my boss. They're blocking me in every way. Is it a feeling that there's no career progression here? Is it a feeling that like all my energy is going to my job and I don't have enough energy for my puppy or my kids or my spouse or to you know, play with cooking. Mm -hmm. So I think these are universal concepts. And I think when you ground them in the specific of what parts of my life would I like to get better, then that means you go back to the dream. That means that like, okay, I can envision this part of my life being better. I can envision 
having a wonderful relationship with my cross-functional peers, because what's happening right now is I am up at night, anxious, replaying these arguments going, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. Like that's all the mental chatter. I'm talking a lot. So the first part (laughs) I think is to really identify like what that pain is, because I think that's the trigger to change, to motivate someone. And the second part of it, I think is, well, where is space working in your life right now? Mm. You know, where are the areas in your life where you can find space and you can chill and you're like, ah, that feels really good. And there's so many areas, right? Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's outside in nature, taking a walk. Maybe it's a connection moment with a spouse or partner. Maybe it's the 20 minutes you have on your commute where nobody else talks to you. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's when you're kind of so immersed in your work and prototyping that like those hours fly away in the flow time. So it's like, what does space mean to you? Where do you feel the most spacious in your life right now? You know, and it may be none of that happens in the work week and it only happens in the weekend. I would argue let's work on a more integrated life because I think every single person, actually, I'll ask you this. If you think about yesterday, what was, what felt the most spacious for you about yesterday? What like instant yesterday felt the most spacious? Mm, That's an interesting question. What did feel spacious? (laughs) Probably driving my child to the doctor's office and waiting in the car and reading a book while I waited in the car. Yeah. (laughs) Like just making, it was enforced. Yeah. You know, like you said, uh, sometimes we have to have these things sort of forced on us almost. Okay. But kudos to you, right? You drove your child to the doctor's office and in the car, you didn't get on your email and be like, okay, who do I answer? (laughs) What do I need to get to? How do I clear this? You knew that you needed that and you read a book. And this is how I work with most of my clients. Understand what the pain is. Like maybe you need more space and like love to understand more why, but like, where is it working right now? There is Mm -hmm. no one who has zero space in their life. It's not possible. We're human. We inherently crave this, even if it's brushing your teeth, right? Sure. And then it's finding out like which parts of those are rejuvenizing, energizing, all that for you, and then figuring out ways to do more of that. So like part of it for you, and it sounds like the reading was a core part of it. Yeah. There's a couple things that I want to sort of circle back on that you said. One, which is motivation. Um, And that's always a very good question to start with someone. How motivated are you actually? The other thing though, that you mentioned brings to mind structures, structures that we can put into place to enforce space in our lives. Yes and no. I think structures is the third step. I think the second step, like so one is motivation. I think the second step is recognizing that you have the innate resources and strengths and just the innate ability to find space already. Mm -hmm. So before we get to structures is the identification that you know how to do it. Let's identify and celebrate the places where you're already doing it. 
And then structures becomes maybe the third step. Let's just amplify. Let's just find mm-hmm. out what works for you. And then let's do more of it. There's no <laughs> one way that works for everyone. Yeah. And I think that's why it goes to the context of individual motivation and individual celebrations and acknowledgements of how does space finding work for you right now? And yeah. with those two things, then it's figuring out the structures. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're talking about is also points out how it can be so helpful to to do this work with another person, whether that's a coach or whether that's in a program or in, with a therapist or just a friend, you know, yep. but it can be so difficult for us to necessarily see mm-hmm. our own strengths and, and to celebrate ourselves and to celebrate our achievements. Yep. Absolutely. This is not culturally accepted. This is like how many of us, when we get our performance review, we're like, flip, 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 flip. I don't care about everything I do well. Tell (laughs) me what I need to change. Tell me what I need to fix. It's it's the culture that we've grown up in. We're sort of biased to remembering the negative about Mm -hmm. ourselves more so than, you know, it could be. 15 positive things, but the one thing we remember is the feedback we got from somebody that points out that we're not perfect. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. This is our high achieving, fast charging, must get better, must do better, must do more. This is our doing indoctrination. Yeah. You have a very interesting character who shows up early in your book called the achievement monster. <laughs> and I, <do. laughs> I would love to actually maybe just to hear from you a little bit about the achievement monster and how that plays into not having space. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I grew up as a product of a certain culture. I grew up with an Asian tiger mom. So I received love, attention, care, when I did stuff, Mm -hmm. when I was a good, quiet little girl, when I got good grades, when I did well with my writing, when I did well in my school, when I did well in my swimming. So I was a good little learner. That's what I learned. The more I do, the more I achieve, especially compared to everyone else, got to be top, got to be number one. That's what feeds love. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that many high achievers that I coach resonate with, many Asians resonate with having Mm -hmm. this stereotype of a tiger mom, which is partially is a stereotype because many times it's true, not universally. Mm -hmm. And I still have it. It's a flip side. The achievement monster helps me get success. Mm -hmm. Yet there can be really the flip side of, wow, it's only going to get you to a certain place because without spaciousness, without awareness, without a deep introspection for why are you doing this? There's a difference between like an extrinsic because it's behaviors reinforced for me by my mom and adult figures and a school educational system versus, oh, how much of this is feeling good for me? Mm. Because, hey, it can feel really good to get to feel like I've written a quality paper or to launch a product that is high quality, how much of it is intrinsic versus how much of it is extrinsic. So I think a lot of it is recognizing the achievement monster, recognizing like the energy 
of when it's actually in flow and feeling really good to do a good job about something. And when is it like, you know, a driver? I actually have something right here. Oh. It's something that reminds me of my achievement monster because (laughs) one of my first coaches said- It's a whip for people who are listening and not uh, uh, watching. It's It's like a cat of nine tails whip, (laughs) which is the the question that made it real to me is why do you continue to self-flagellate yourself? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need that metaphor. We need that like- levity to be like, oh my gosh, why am I continuing to whip myself? Like who does that? To really be like, oh, maybe you got to stop that. Maybe you might (laughs) want to think about doing something differently. Like you would never whip your best friend or your kids or someone you love, Mm -hmm. but we do this all to ourselves. So I have this by the side of my desk just to remind me so I can like look over and be like, there it is. Why are you doing that again? Yeah. These parts of ourselves that can be a strength and can also then be uh, self sabotage because there isn't anything wrong with achievement in and of itself, right? And in fact, we even talked about how it's important to celebrate our achievements. And yet, as you pointed out, that can really go too far. So there's nothing wrong with achievement in and of itself. But, you know, as you pointed out, we can take these strengths and turn them against ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And because you are actually quite like you have achieved a lot. (laughs) I got an innate drive and ambition. And yeah, and it's wonderful. I mean, now you're in a place where you can celebrate it and you can feel healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. And still achieve, but that awareness of the achievement monster is, is it very important? Yeah. I think it's all about the awareness, which is why I use the metaphors when I work with people. It's like, well, what are the phrases your achievement monster says? Cause this is where we make our brains work for us rather than being up like anxious at 2 AM, like re, Um, reliving a conversation, it's don't stop, try harder, Mm -hmm. keep on going. You can't quit. These are the phrases like my achievement monster says. So then I start to recognize them. I'm like, oh, wait, it's that statement again. All right, Mm. maybe I got to take a break. And that's ways of of adding like little bits of spaciousness to your life, like a 30 second breathing break or uh, just step outside for a minute. That's itty bitty, like pings of space that we can all put just to be like, okay, let's just pause for a minute. Yeah. And that actually, excuse me, that actually kind of brings me to this next, what I want to talk about in regards to creativity. I know for me, it was really important for me to understand how my brain works. This happened over the last, the course of the last couple of years, really understanding that I need breaks in order to stay in flow. Mm -hmm. And that's just how my brain works. I can tell when it's happening. I can tell when I am in the middle of something and it's going well, but then 
anxiety, a feeling similar to anxiety comes up for me. And I actually need to go take a break and allow myself to just reset (laughs) and come back to it. And, um, but for so long, I think I didn't allow that because I, I felt like that was, I'm not in flow if I'm not just constantly, you know, for two hours sitting still because I was taught that growing up, right? (laughs) I have trouble sitting still for two hours. A lot of people do, especially most um, people do when you're talking about creativity. (laughs) Making space for creativity is a constant complaint on many design and research teams. Innovation, design, insights, these are not linear processes. They, You can spend eight hours on something and yet it might need to be over multiple days simply yep. so you have that incubation time. So I would love to get your thoughts at a team level at work. It's one thing to make space for yourself, but when you're working in an environment that's not doesn't seem to be allowing that, I'd love to get your thoughts on how people can approach that situation. So one thing I talk about a lot in terms of service to creativity is two seemingly disparate concepts, which is force and flow. And force, they're just Fs because two Fs are easier to remember, but force is structures. (laughs) It's what are the structures and rituals and things that you can put in your life to enable creativity to flow. And I believe that you need both of this. There are flip sides of each other, similar as we talked about our strengths and the dark sides of our strengths. I think force and flow are both needed. And the good thing is that force, these structures are what a team can do together. We're innately human creatures. We can like ping pong and work off each other for this. Um, Something I talk about in my book and something which I do still is really having this concept of a focus block. So a... Mm -hmm. I'll say two to three hour period of time that is blocked out free from meetings to have that gestation space, that white space so that creativity can flourish. And I think there's ways where this can go wrong, where you can be like, oh, I need to do this. I need to finish this. I'm just going to like put it off until Mm -hmm. that focus block. And when you start that focus block, you're like, oh. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this now. Oh no, what? So there's the ability to put the structure in, but I think then there's the also the second part of it, which is the ability to stay deeply present, Mm. to know that even though it is your focus block time, similar to what you said, it doesn't feel right. I've been sitting for two hours. No, Mm. it's not there. And part of it, I think, is giving yourself little rituals to, to reset, to get in that state of mind. Maybe it is, I don't know, doing 10 squats to get back into your body and to remind yourself that like you can shift, you can reset. Maybe it's making a cup of tea. A lot of times if it's dark and gray in San Francisco, when I start my workday, I almost always light a candle if I'm going to write. It's just like Mm -hmm. a little bit of a ritual and a reset. And these are all forces and structures that you can help yourself do. And talking about a team, I know at Facebook, when we started doing focus blocks, it's awfully hard because- you're trying to schedule, you're trying to schedule meetings, you're trying to schedule meetings with people from different time zones. So I think what really works is to do this together as a team, 
to as a team acknowledge that, hey, everyone in this team, not just design with Eng, with product, harder for product managers, but everyone within <laughs> this team needs this uh, work time, this focus blocks time. Let's try as a team to run an experiment, to do this together for two weeks, for a month and see if we can make this work. It's really hard to take vacations because you feel like you're missing out and all this stuff is happening. And the day that you come back, like you're going to be inundated with so many emails. But it's different if the whole company is dark for, say, Veterans Day that just happened because mm -hmm. we're all off. So that's the benefit of using the power of the team to give focus blocks for creativity. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Shall I, do you want to have another question or shall I move to another thing that might help? Oh, let's hear another thing. So the second thing, which I think is even better is like focus blocks are like you alone doing your flow time, your creative time. I think it's really important for a team to have rituals to do silly, frivolous things together. And part of creativity is when it's not so serious, Yeah. right? There is the creativity of the, oh my God, we better get to that really good concept because we got to present it. I know, oh shit, how are we going to do that? So I think there's value in having weekly team rituals where you do silly things, you know, whether you play, you play an improv game together, whether you play, oh, I don't know, you do sketch games together, sketching games together, where you sing, where you just... <laughs> vibe off each other's creativity because you can do silly things with a group you're more yeah. likely to do silly things with a safe within a safe space welcoming comforting group sometimes it's really hard to do it alone like who's gonna sit there alone and have a dance party like yeah I know some people <laughs> who do that but if you put the music on and if you know you're all doing it and if some people want to turn their video off cool I think there is a magic and creative energy in a team that laughs together and plays together that makes mm. everything else easier. I think that is probably just one of the best pieces of advice that I've heard for teams <laughs> in a long time. It There's a lot of talk about teams not gelling because everything is remote and distributed and sometimes teams aren't even... They're rarely in the same time zone, yeah. you know, where they can even work simultaneously. But I think bringing a sense of levity and silliness and fun, it's so overlooked. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it's human. We want that. That is the being. That's the emotion that you leave a meeting with. Because you can go to a meeting, you can have the agenda, you can get everything done. And when you leave, everyone's like... <sighs> glad that was over. Right. As opposed to a meeting where you remember the laughter. You remember like the stupid jokes someone told at the beginning that were so <laughs> eye rolly, but like right. that's that's what stays with you. Yeah. I would like to talk a little bit about surfing because it's a big theme. Yes. For you in life in general. And it works supremely well <laughs> with this subject of when you talk about finding flow. So yeah, let's talk about surfing and the role that it plays in this book and your life. So I spent decades as a driven 
controlling command and control leader with like my armor on needing to be a certain way. Some of it came from my upbringing. Some of it came from certain tech cultures. Some of it came from like the atmosphere of competitive design studios. And throughout all that time, there was one thing in my life that felt frivolous and completely unnecessary. And it was surfing. I spent so much time on it because I loved being in the ocean. And it was also the one thing where no matter how much time I spent on it, it really didn't feel like I was getting any better. (laughs) But I didn't care (laughs) because I was out in the water. The magic power of nature, the magic of learning to surf with a bunch of women, which were called wahinikai in Huntington Beach in Orange County. (laughs) And so there was no potential unconscious bias of being with men. It was like a single gender, very supportive, very loving group where there was so much levity and laughter and foolishness and just simply being present in the sunshine and the water in nature, surrounded by birds and seals and dolphins occasionally, that it was simply magical and healing. Um, really got you present because it's you're in the ocean. So you do have to be pretty present. It's not something mindless, like jumping on the elliptical machine. You got to pay attention. So there's a, there's the variety of it. It's been an important part of my life. It was the first thing I think that was really a touchstone of a, oh, I have something in my life that doesn't feel like I need to achieve. Hmm. You know, of course I would have these dreams. I've got that achievement monster. I'd be like, what if do you think I could become a pro surfer in my 30s? And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so ridiculous. Why must I put achievement into everything? And then just the ability to laugh about it and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so bad and it's okay. I mean, the parallels between what it takes to ride a wave and finding flow for ourselves, making that space to find the flow um, works incredibly well. Plus it's quite a beautiful cover for your book. (laughs) Thank you. It goes back to what I talk about, which is force and flow. Mm -hmm. I use the acronym SURF, Mm S-U-R-F to remind people about what to do. The S is stop, just stop for a minute and see like, is this the pattern that you want to continue? U is understand take a minute to be like, what, what's happening here? Is it the achievement monster? Are you getting triggered? Are you hungry? Are you getting really hangry? Just understand. R is, because I'm a bit of a rebel, and R is a re. Just redo it, rethink it, reevaluate it, pick your own re. And then the F is what I talked about earlier, which is force and flow. Where are you right now? Are you more in flow? And do you maybe need a little bit more force? To your example earlier, I'm in flow, but wait, I, I need to stop for a minute, take a break. Or are you completely in force of structure? I got to do like the 10th design iteration and keep on going and going. And I'm just forcing myself to do it so much. So then you need a little more flow. And what I love is that surfing needs both. Mm. There is a rigor that you need in having to paddle and having to like build up your lats and your muscles to just paddle because without that strength, there's currents. You always have to stay in place so that you're right at the right place in the wave. So you do need to put in the time. You do need to put in the diligence of getting out and doing this regularly because you you lose the paddle strength. But then there's also the flow because 
you look at the horizon and there's sets of waves coming in and the sets are all different because there's different currents and winds coming in. So there is a flow of just looking and be like, is it that one? Is it that one? No, let's go up this one. And then there is the unbelievable flying magical flow of being up and riding on a wave for like precious seconds where you're just looking down the line and you're like, what's my next move? What's my next move? What's the wave going to do? How do I stay on the edge of the wave and hit the lip? How do I do something else? And Hmm. I get that flow in snowboarding as well because you're carving or in skateboarding, but it's completely different with the dynamism of the water changing and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I just am picturing surf retreat for women in leadership. That would be like the perfect. (laughs) Oh, it's going to happen. I'm planning my next retreat. It's going to be October, 2023 in Hawaii. And Mm. yeah, there's going to be a surfing component of it. Nice. it's, It's a metaphor. It's getting into your body. It's trying something different. And it's getting to feel good about it and like the force, like the the attempts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sounds wonderful. (laughs) What else do you have going on that you want to share with our audience? Well, my biggest passion project right now is I'm working on my second book. Yeah, approaching it completely differently because, mm. you know, I like experiments. I like doing things differently. So it's a research-based book, even though there's some memoir things as well. And the title is Hardworking Rebels, How to Lead and Succeed as Asian Women. Mm. So what I've been doing is I've interviewed, I think I'm about 55 now, professional Asian women in tech and outside of tech with like doctors and lawyers and financiers and all of that. And what the book is doing is really pulling into our lineage, you know, similar to me talking about having a tiger mom because I'm Thai Chinese. Mm. There are ways that we exist in the world because this is how our parents have been. This is how our grandparents have been. These are ingrained traits passed down through epigenetics at the molecular or surrounding molecular level that are a part of who we are. And Mm. mostly I work, I support women, people of color and immigrants. So there's also the additional trait of, huh, you're an immigrant or your family was an immigrant. So you have this foot in both worlds. Hmm. And what I love about this book is that, you know, there is a trait of Asian Americans that's valued in our culture with my tiger mom of being hardworking, put in the time, put in the grit. A lot of successful people have it. This is the undertones of the achievement monster. (laughs) But yet it's an Asian American story. So there is the sense of immigration, whether you did this as first generation or whether it was something your parents did or your grandparents did. And there is a sense of being a rebel, having this foot in an old world and a new world. And what the book does is it provides coaching, guidance, a blueprint for Asian American women in the corporate world who are not rising as much. There is lots of Asian American representation in tech, Mm. but not at the highest levels because there's a ceiling. There's a ceiling, there's a glass ceiling and there's a bamboo ceiling. And when Mm. both of those together, and it's both for Asian Americans as well as black women, that's the worst. Mm. The book provides stories, inspiration, and lessons and tactics and experiments to try to be able to break through this. Mm. And that's my current passion project. That's what I'm spending all my time researching and writing and doing. 
Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet. It's equally fun and a lot of work, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And that's where I do have to like be super mindful of my energy. Yeah. When is the writing flowing and when I'm forcing it? And one thing that's really good is that book writing has a whole creative part, but it also has a very structured part, which is like similar to information architecture. What do you want to share when? How do you do this? And what's the continuity of a storyline throughout? So I love that I feel <laughs> that book writing is similar to design. Hmm. Nice. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation you are incredibly inspirational and I would love to have more conversations with you. And thank you so much for your time and Mm. for sharing so much of your insight with us. Thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. Hey, if you enjoyed this slice of UX cake, please share this episode with a friend or a few You can share it on social media even. It really helps us spread the word and get this free content to more people. You can follow UX Cake on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and get all the episodes and show notes at uxcake.co. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing the UX Cake.